Michael Lister is the poetry editor of Walrus Magazine and poetry columnist for the National Post in Toronto. Welcome once again to the Bibliophile. Good to be back. Where are we? We're sitting next to Little Italy on a warm day in Toronto on a balcony, relaxing and ready to take on the... The boogie people. The boogie ideas. Yeah, the elephant in the room, the object in the way of Canada producing more world-class poets. You know what? I actually don't, to be honest, think that there really is an object in the way. I think most people who are serious about poetry and, and the criticism of it know that these objections are pretty much groundless. What objections? Well, saying, for example, that expressing your aesthetic preference in a review, making an aesthetic judgment, is somehow unethical. That's not, not a very serious argument. And yet it's prevalent. It's prevalent because we have a small pond in Canada. In the Canadian literary community, there's probably less than one degree of separation, which gets in the way of honest feedback. And this, in turn, stifles... Well, I think it's actually, it's for a couple reasons. The least cynical reason, and it's one that I think about a lot and worry about a lot, having written some negative reviews, is the idea of community, that there is a really good chance that you might, before you meet someone who you you might actually get along with really well, if you review their book badly, there's no, there really is a very small chance that you guys will ever be friends. And it's funny, I was just talking about this with someone, and, and we were discussing the fact that some of our best friends are the ones that we got into fights with mm. when we first met them. Mm-hmm. One of the first reviews I ever wrote, and it's one that, looking back on it, I don't really agree with much anymore. I wrote a negative review of a book by a guy named Alessandro Porco, who's, besides being a, a really interesting, extremely well-read poet, is one of the country's best critics. And I, I wrote a review of, of his last book. And, you know, I, I had some objections to it, and I was really worried that I would here's this person who I would probably really, really like. I mean, a lot of my friends are friends with him. I think you'd probably admit that anyone who loves poetry, genuinely, you're going to get along with. You're going to respect that, at least. Depends on how you think about poetry, but for yeah. the most part, I mean, there is baseline simpatico that your your mutual obsessions will, will probably engender. But, but what I was really amazed by and w- was very happily surprised by was that Alex, after it came out, he wrote me a note on Facebook that said, thanks for the review. You know, I obviously don't agree with the verdict, but, you know, I appreciate you taking the time with it and, you know, here's some stuff that in the future we can argue about. And I thought that it was a very classy gesture that probably had something to do with this, that Alex is serious enough as a poet and understands enough about being a critic that, like, it, it didn't really piss him off all that much. Like, he's going to do what he's going to do no matter what. Do you think it might even change his direction? No, no I, don't, I don't think so. But I mean, more so than a kind of an ass-kissing piece that sets nothing. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, poet's vanity almost always gets the, the best of him or her. And even if a piece is a puff piece, a part of you, a very crass part of you, probably in, enjoys the praise even if it's at the expense of the credibility of the puff piece, you know? Publicity people love that, too. It gives them grist for their marketing mill. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what a lot of the people who side with someone like Jan Zwicky in this argument. Which we haven't really... Do you want to talk a bit about? Okay, so so Jan Zwicky wrote an essay that I think was published in 2003 that justified her policy while she was poetry editor of the... I think it was The Fiddlehead in the 90s of not publishing what, what she considers negative reviews. So a review that is anything less than 
ecstatic about the the work in question. So it's almost like a cheerleading role. Yeah. Well, what what her thinking was was that there's there's so much poetry in Canada, and there's so much good poetry, and so little review space anywhere. Up to here, we we agree. Here's where we differ. That because of all that, it doesn't make sense to give the limited space that there is to essentially trashing or equivocating about a book under review. And because that will turn people off poetry? No, not necessarily. But but that it would it would it would maybe a poet? No. Well, that that's part of it. But the first part of the argument is that is that it just might mean that someone might miss a really excellent book because it just doesn't happen to be reviewed because space that would have been given to the review of something that the reviewer finds excellent has instead gone to equivocating about or maybe even denigrating a book that the reviewer thinks is less worthy of her audience's attention. There's more to the argument, too, than that. Zwicky also says, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here from what I remember of the essay, she also says that poets need to have a thin skin. The, the thinness of their skin is what lets um, you know, experience, experience, yeah. and uh, the the aestheticizing, yeah, the aestheticizing thereof lets it lets it sort of permeate the skin and and, and affect the poet on a, on a very basic level. And so, in other words, a poet's ability to take offense is the very source of their power, because the same tool that would take offense at a harshly written review of their work is the same thing that lets them, for example you know, appreciate the suppleness of a sunset or, a, or or the emotional import in a turn of phrase or whatever. She also says in the essay, which is called The Ethics of Negative Reviewing, implying it's unethical to review negatively. She, she also says that there have been so many reviews about canonical poems and poets that were wrong in their time that if you try and impede... A, a classic. You're you're essentially acting against the spirit of poetry. You're acting against the best interest of readers in perpetuity. Okay, so let's let's leave that particular article then. Okay. So that would be one camp. Mm-hmm. The other camp would would say what? Well, the other camp would say that first of all, first of all, one always needs to distinguish between the the poet and the poetry. In other words, when you're writing critically about uh, a something that someone has produced, you're not censoring the poet. You're taking exception with some of the things that they produced. And any and again, we're not talking about amateurs here, we're talking about professionals. So yeah. I think anyone as soon as anyone enters public life you, well yeah, as when you decide to publish, you're Make with public. Yeah. With the um the benefits that come from being published also come the risks of human beings having that nasty, intractable habit of thinking for themselves. With glory comes the possibility of disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. If not if not even glory, at least especially in the poetry. Yeah, this yeah, right. Let's just say ten free copies and a and a drink ticket. <laughs> right. Yeah. So but the reason the reason why I mean what people on this side would say, the reason why a negative review is important is first of all for, for lots of reasons. Um uh, so long as it contains uh rationale for the judgment. I guess that's that's a given. All reviews, you feel one way or another way about a particular work, back it up with specific quotes and specific arguments and specific comparisons. 
let's just take that as a given. I, I mean, of course. Look, uh, here, here's the thing: is that the part of, re- of a review that might be called negative is usually a small portion of the word count. I mean, if you're doing your job right, you're trying you're trying to situate the book in question within the oeuvre of the poet, within their particular development, within the development of the school or style that they might be writing under the sign of, within the the whole cultural context and literary context of of the work in question. The sort of value judgment, the does it succeed or does it fail, or is it problematic, or is it boring, or is it reductive, all that stuff is, that's a very small portion of the actual undertaking. It might be for the poet the most painful, but you can't think of, in many ways, you, you can't think of the poet under review, you can't think of the, that person's feelings, because you have to give them enough credit that they are a professional who is, who's entered into this with the good faith that, and, and understanding and, and seriousness, seriousness that people are, people are not just going to, but have to think for themselves. And that, and that the purpose of poetry isn't, isn't to create this sort of euphoric state in as many people as possible in a sort of utilitarian, you know, the, the best good for the best number sort of way. No, it should poetry, all good poetry should provoke and upset and undermine and, and challenge. I mean, if it's universally accepted as brilliant, then there's something, something wrong, because then you've got a uniform audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think that there isn't really a major poet ever about whom everyone is certain is a genius. Like, a, a very small example, like Wallace Stevens and Robert Frost, the two sort of giants of mid-century American poetry, two of the giants. It was almost impossible at the time to love both Robert Frost and Wallace Stevens. The people who disliked Frost thought that he was, you know, a sort of a moralizing versifier or sort of folk wisdom wrapped up in am- iambic pentameter, who was pedestrian. A miserable bastard in his personal life, but, but let, let's put that aside. Sure. People thought that Stevens was willfully obtuse and, and a navel-gazer, and, and so at the time, you had to decide whether you liked one or the other. Now, of course, it's perfectly, it's perfectly easy to, to love both. I think you have to love both to be a serious appreciator of poetry. That's obviously my, just my opinion. But at the time, they were equally polarizing to opposite audiences. And there's nothing wrong, for example, with, with hearing what Robert Frost thought of Wallace Stevens or of, or of what Wallace Stevens thought of Robert Frost. In fact, it can be, can be useful. Both of them were smart enough and tough enough to know that someone taking exception with, with the work in, in no way affected its, its future prospects or anything. Like, you're going to write because you have to write. The way I look at it is it's a almost like a court of law. You have the critic as the lawyer making his or her case as best he or she can, and that judgment stands until a better case can be made. Yeah, but I don't even think that if you make a serious and maybe damning judgment of a poet, you're not really going to change the minds of of the most partisan fans. Who who love it just because... Right, I, I don't. I don't. In other words, your your reputation is only as good as your re- last review. I don't think that's true at all. No, but I think your reputation. You have a, a genius who happens to be a poet writing a critique of your work and raising it from the dead. It will stand. It will influence people. It will attract attention. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's the other reason why critical writing is is very important. A critical judgment is only really as good in many ways as the person who's making it. Do you know what I mean? So, sort of like that like that Ezra Pound thing, right? That you should never trust the criticism of someone who hasn't produced anything serious themselves. 
that's sort of true and false. But what I mean is that if you're living in a culture where negative criticisms can be written without much complaint, you're living in a culture where reputations can change, where the course of poetry itself can be redirected, that people can, can have a public reckoning with work that, if you're only writing positive reviews, just become sort of calcified and petrified mm-hmm. immediately, right? And will and will sort of stay like that. And boring, too. You, you don't want to relegate poetry to, well, it's not that it's in the front benches right now, but by having uniformly glowing reviews, where's the excitement? Where's the engagement? <laughs> well, something that Carmen Cernino says is that, and I think this is very true, is that, like, for example, with the Jan's Wiki stuff that happened recently, her original essay is pretty boring. And, you know, Jan Zwicky is an accomplished poet and professional philosopher in her own right. But, you know, the, the sort of, like, coddling Mr. Rogers, everyone is a unique butterfly sort of argument makes, makes her really flaccid prose. As soon as she sprung up and took exception with what I was saying, man, the prose was crisp and, and sprightly and, and lively and fun and great. And, and people loved it, you know, and loved it not just because of the arguments, but, the, but because of the way the arguments were delivered. So this is what Carmen says, is that he says that a negative review actually sharpens the prose. But it'll bring the it best makes you think you. about it. It makes you actually in many ways think about what you're doing more because the moral stakes seem higher. An insult to your reputation when you're attacked or your work is attacked, that kind of criticism is going to motivate you to to hit back as hard as you possibly can, using as much skill and logic as you can bring to the argument. I think maybe it's, it's for a different reason, which is that if you find yourself in the place where you're going to take on the work of someone who is still living and has friends and has family and has admirers, you know that there are going to be repercussions for you, the reviewer. And so in, in many ways, what you want is you want your prose to be spotless. You want to your be, argument to be unassailable. Exactly. And so it really does bring the best out of your prose because people are going to be poring over it, looking for... Any kind of little open door mm-hmm. that they can right. bash. In a, way, in a way that, that even a well-written puff piece, or I shouldn't say puff piece, positive appraisal, it never, it never has to be unassailable in the same way. Not that there's anything wrong writing positively no. about a poem. It's, it's, it's actually it's more enjoyable. It's wonderful to praise someone, but it's about honesty. The question of honesty has to be sort of answered with a little bit of context, because what what Zwicky proposes isn't that you necessarily be dishonest about a book. In other words, that you give a book a positive review that you dislike. She She says, when you're assigned the book that you don't like, what you should do is, she says, keep your mouth shut in public. That's what W.H. Auden says. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he does. I mean, I, 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 I see that that I find strange because Auden was very vocal about his dislike of of like Rilke, for example, which I think is very useful. Uh, Auden's dislike of Rilke and of I mean of German romanticism it makes a lot of sense. And in fact, to see him so riled up about a poet so great, knowing the poems that Auden had to write because of the effects of German romanticism is illuminating, right? Thank God he didn't keep quiet on on Rilke, because you get a fuller sense of the poet, right? So the question is, is it ethical to keep quiet about a book that you dislike? Yes, I think it's it's ethical. Is it valuable? 
No, it's it's valuable to you. It means that you'll save yourself the sort of awkward exchange when you're at a poetry conference together or you happen to read together. It will probably mean that you will be in a better position to get the grant that it would be really nice to get because that person who you would have reviewed negatively or their friends or their allies or their fans might might be on the jury. It means that you're probably more likely to get an award that, again, is juried, that you might put yourself in the awkward position of not getting, if you do, in fact, not keep your mouth shut in public. But the, the question that you'll always have to ask yourself is, do I want to receive an award from someone who would have looked at my book and on one occasion given me the award and on one occasion not. It's not about the work. It's not about the work anymore. Yeah. It's, about, it's in fact, the system is set up, or so we think, to reward people's disingenuousness, which seems to me pretty shady and also seems to me to condescend to the maturity, the potential maturity of real poets. Like, for example, if someone had reviewed my book badly or any of my work, and I, I've been reviewed badly, everyone has, if then I was in the position to judge their own work, there's no way in hell, ever, ever, that I would, in one occasion if they reviewed it well, and on another occasion reviewed it badly, that I would let that affect my decision about their poetry. That is unethical, for sure. And a literary culture is not worth a damn if that's how it's going to function. That gets to the nub of our conversation here. What kind of literary culture do we have in Canada right now? It seems to me that that's what you're saying. That's the kind of culture. And maybe it's just because... It's so small. It's actually not that small. I mean, it's small when you compare it to the U.S., which now, because of the proliferation of MFAs, like, there are tons and tons and tons and tons of poetry magazines. You know, arguably the most important poetry magazine in the world. It gets 100,000 submissions per month. That's an unbelievable number, right? But Canada still, in its own right, has a, has a very large poetry culture. It's not like there are, like, 12 or 15 poets. There are thousands. There are like 150 or so new books of poetry published every year in Canada. So it's not small. It's small relative to the UK and to the United States. Yeah, but I think in many ways has more to do with the fact that because getting a review, it's so difficult now. There are so few places that review. Major Mm. newspapers don't review very much. I think there's one other poetry columnist in Canada. Barbara Carey, I think is her name, at the Toronto Star. I don't even know if she's monthly. I mean, the Winnipeg Free Press, they review the occasional book of poetry, and, and so does the Globe and Mail. But really, because of that, the only other way to be recognized is with prizes and grants, and all of those are peer-reviewed. And there is actually a good deal of money to be had or lost. And so that, that's what I think is really the, the crux of it, is that if you want to sort of make it as a poet, the way most people figure you should do it is to befriend everybody and be as agreeable as, as possible. And then you don't have to worry about your work doing the work. People will let their fondness for you do it for it. And for lots of people, that's a perfectly reasonable way to think, because most poets are really not all that great, right? Not just now. Ever. Throughout history. Yeah. But the really great poets will always, always, always come to light eventually. Always. They'll always get the reckoning that they deserve. So we are in a culture then. First of all, there's a lack of venues for serious criticism, although the Internet's there and it's not going in place. There's actually a guy who responded to all of this, a very smart, well-read young guy named Stuart Cole, who decided that what he was going to do in response to all this is run review a month of a book of Canadian poetry. 
That's wonderful. I think it is, and he just did his first one of uh, Aaron Knight's book, and it's an excellent review. It's an honest... What I, what I hope... It's a, is it negative? Or no, is it's it positive. I'd be very interested to see if he ever ends up writing a negative review. Because in many ways, here's the thing. The difference between someone who only writes positive reviews and someone who, who, who is willing to write the occasional negative review is that you can never be sure with the one who only writes positive reviews if they aren't doing it for their own good. Lots of people say often that negative reviewers, you know, they're only there trying to, like, flex their muscle and beat down opponents and... and show and, off. And show off and self-aggrandize. Yeah, but you have to realize how much is how much is there to lose. Like, I've written a negative review of Tim Lilburn, who was recently a, a Griffin judge. You know what I mean? He is in the constellation of the establishment, and he has lots of friends, and, and I have no idea if that will end up coming back to bite my own work in the ass. But here's the thing, is that is that the person who's willing to write the negative review has enough faith in, in their own work or enough enough indifference about what prizes it's awarded and all that stuff. Assuming they're a poet, of course. Yeah, to let the poems do their own work. And if your poems aren't given the awards that you feel that they deserve, because buddy of the person that you once reviewed badly is on the jury or whatever, then you know what? Who gives a shit? You know, who really give, who really gives a shit? Like, if yeah. you're really in it for real reasons, you're writing poetry because... You're you fucking it. writing poetry. Well, and you want it to stand on its own? To, to have it be able to be read on its own terms. And, and not because you called in favors for it by glad-handing everyone's book that you could get your hands on. And it does no one any good. What you would like to see is more honest reviews everywhere. That, that's one half of it. The other half of it is that I don't ever want to see poets settling scores on grant juries or awards juries or any of that garbage because that that is so beneath what this whole thing is about yeah. what literary culture is about like look if the Bollinger Prize can be awarded to Pound after he's been an open anti-Semite and, and a, a fascist a fascist propagandist and convicted of treason if people on a jury can still say can still say yeah but you know what the Pies and Cantos are spectacular I don't care who they were written by that is exactly the sort of literary culture that any serious country would want, right? Separating the poet from the poems. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is the, the first and most important thing for a critic and for a poet, for anyone involved in the poetry apparatus to be able to do. And ideally what you want, too, is the critic to be able to work with or have a relationship with the poet, despite what they may or may not have to say about it. I would love that. I mean, that would be ideal. That, I feel like, is what maturity is. So we, we live in an immature culture, then? Well, I actually don't know, because I don't know if anyone has given poets in this country enough credibility for them to be able to make judgments just based on, on what they really feel, without assuming that, that they're going to be a glad-handing, mutual back-scratching sort of crowd, because I don't know if they actually are. I don't know if a poet who's really writing seriously for their whole lives with conviction would ever really be so malicious as to disparage someone else's work because they wrote badly about yours. I That's just, unethical. I think it, that is yeah. deeply unethical. Now, I do think that population has something to do with it. The fact that we need a critical mass of poetry readers, people who are invested in it, enough to want to write about it, honestly. I don't know that we have a critical mass. Well, the idea, Wiki's idea came out of her generation. It started in the 60s and went through the 70s and even 80s extended with Zwicky into the 90s, where, you know, we were, we were taking our first 
post-colonial stats. And the idea was we shouldn't compare ourselves to anyone else. We shouldn't use British or American standards to measure our work. We should measure it on its own by its own standards. And those standards tended to be standardless. They tended to be nationalistic mm-hmm. cheerleaders. But we have so many good poets now that we don't need to do that anymore that we can, we can say there's some really excellent work that's, that's being done and there's some not so excellent work being done. And there is so much excellence. I, I see it, especially in, in, in my generation, there's, there's a, just a, a wealth of excellence. And it keeps getting so? better and better and better and better. It's not like the, you know, the, the, the young upstart who's, who's not any good is... is I, I would never write a scathing review of someone like that. The, the people who I'm interested in writing negative reviews about are the people who we take for granted as being icons. Because yeah. a, lot, a lot of those people aren't icons. Or they shouldn't be icons. But they're emulated because of the fact that people think they're icons. Yeah, exactly. Because people have always only written glowing reviews of their work and they've been doing it for 40 years. Well, if, yeah. if it works for them, I might as well try it too. Just finally then, uh, it sounds to me like you're pretty optimistic about where we're at, that there are more uh, good poets working than, than ever before. Yeah. So what good do you think this new honesty, focus on honesty, will, will have? Why are you advocating this? Because it's the, it's the only way that a literature has a chance to evolve. I mean, nature nature works the same way. Survival of the fittest? No, no, that the great big tree that everyone has always assumed is sturdy might might be hollow. And if you fell it, there's a lot of new life that can, that can come from its felling. The literature can change course. New bold arguments about calcified ideas can uncalcify them, can discandy them. There, there are two visions. One vision, everything goes on as it's always been. That's a conservative idea. The progressive idea is that things can change, and things change as they always do by people thinking originally and then reporting on their discoveries. Allowing for new thoughts which may happen to offend the person who thought up the old thoughts. Who's the best poet in Canada? Oh, Christ. I think Karen Soli is incredible. I think Karen Soli is spectacular. I think Bruce Taylor is amazing. I think Peter Van Turen is incredible. He only wrote one book. I think Troy Jollimore is one of the most critically underappreciated poets writing today. He might make a good claim one day of maybe being the best. I've been speaking with uh, Michael Lista, who is the poetry editor of The Walrus magazine and uh, poetry columnist for the National Post newspaper in uh, Toronto, Ontario. Thanks very much. Oh, thanks, Nigel.